such a joy for me to be with you this morning. <clears throat> I've looked forward to this for a few months. Normally things are scheduled a little longer than that. David called and asked me if I could do this today, and I said, well, I'll have to get permission. Uh, I have a third Sunday that our associate preacher preaches, so the elders granted me the opportunity to come, and I am so thankful for it. I do not know nearly everybody here, but there are a few families of folks that I do know, and I'm anxious to meet new people. I have known the Barkers for uh, a good many years. In fact, uh, we lived in the same house, but not at the same time. Uh, he followed me, two or three preachers behind me at Bear Creek, Alabama, and uh, so we did live in the same house. So he got some of the same experiences I did, and not all those were bad, some of them were good. I know they taught him a lot of lessons, and I've always thought so much of David and Kelly and their precious daughters. And uh, I have known Mike here for a good long time. He and I were pretty hard on together. Uh, that's been a long time ago. <laughs> and uh, and the Cleghorns. And I see actually some of uh, Chuck and Jill's extended family are here today. And uh, we love Chuck and Jill. In fact, folks at Double Springs are still kind of angry because they came up here. But they uh, even told me today, tell Chuck and Jill we said hello. <laughs> and uh, we have known the Fletchers for a while. And uh, so good to see them. We've known some of their kin folks and uh, that were some of my dearest friends, some of those that passed on to their reward now. And uh, there's probably another or two of you that I maybe would know. I know some I met, I got was privileged to come here after you moved in the new building, and it's so beautiful. Uh, came here for the workshop, uh, the personal evangelism workshop that you had, I guess it's been about two years ago now, the way time flies. And I uh, enjoyed that immensely, benefited by it. So it's just a joy to be here. I would like to, uh, in these three lessons, uh, real close together this morning, I'd like to accomplish uh, three things. Summed up in three words, appreciation, uh, realization, and examination. I would like for us to, in this first class, to appreciate the Word of God more. In the second class, uh, we, in the worship hour, uh, to realize the purpose and the nature of the life that we're now living. And then the last class, the last session at one o'clock, uh, kind of to deal more with examination in the sense as we think about uh, maturing, uh, maturity and maturing as Christians as we grow older. So uh, let's think about those things. In this first session though, our lesson this morning is simply entitled three words. Very simple words. Uh, only one of them has two syllables, and that's quite, uh, I can understand that kind of language. It is written. Think about the little phrase, it is written. You think of all the ways that we refer to these sacred writings that have come down from the mind of God through the Holy Spirit. We call the Bible. We call the Word of God. We call the Scriptures. Just think about, for a moment, the Bible. Uh, the word Bible, you'll not find necessarily in your Bible, uh, but really coming from Hebrews 10 and verse 7, which is a reference back to Psalm 40 and verse 7, where we might just say simply, the book. The book. And you think about the book among all books. It is the book. The Bible. We refer to it as the scripture, 2 Timothy 3 and verse 15, that from a child 
thou hast known the holy scriptures. Jesus said in Matthew 22 and verse 29, have you not read that which God spoke? And then he said two verses later, you do err not knowing the scriptures. And many times the Bible refers to itself and the writings from God simply as the scriptures. Paul would tell Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures that are able to make thee wise unto salvation. All scriptures given an inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God might be complete truly furnished unto every good work. And then we refer to this uh, message from another world, the Bible, the scriptures, and we refer to it as the word of God. Hebrews 4 and verse 12, the word of God is quick, living, powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. And uh, we refer to it in 1 Peter 1 and verse 23 as the word of God. Uh, where he says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. But this little phrase that you see on the screen, it is written. It is found <clears throat> about 80 times. Think about that. 80 times you would find this in the Bible. This three word phrase has so much power when you think about it because it places emphasis upon the significance of the revealed written word of God. You've probably heard somebody say, well, the Bible says it and I believe it and that settles it. And that's good, uh, but it settles it whether we believe it or not. I mean, there is just such a uniqueness to this little phrase it is written, it should resolve all issues when you think about it in, in spiritual matters. A conclusiveness and a finality in this expression. It is written. You know, you think about in our country, you might think about the Constitution. Uh, you might think about in a lawyer's setting, you might think about law books that the law, lawyer might have in his office that he refers to so often uh, preparing for a case. It is written. There's some finality to that. But uh, don't ever tamper with what God has written. And I know you know that. 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 6 says, don't go beyond that which is written. I think of the verse in 2 Peter 3 and verse 16, when Peter said that some rest the scriptures to their own destruction. Think about Deuteronomy 4, verse 2, when the Bible says, don't add to nor take away. In Proverbs 30, and verse 6, it says, if you do, expect the Lord to reprove you. Think about it in Revelation 22, 18, 19. If you add to it, if you take away, if you add to it, you expect the plagues to be added to you that are written in this book. If you take away, expect for your name to be taken out of the book of life and your part to be taken out of heaven. You think about so, so many people, though, they, they, they place very little significance to it is written. In Matthew chapter 15, the Lord is talking to some people, and they are accusing him of transgressing the traditions of the elders. And the Lord says to them, you are transgressing by your traditions the commandments of God. That's one thing to transgress the traditions of men, and something else by tradition to transgress the commandments of the Lord. But you think about all the 
alterations that people are so willing to make, uh, it seems, to the word of God and feel no uh, loyalty to the authority of what is written. You may have heard somebody make this statement. I've heard somebody make this statement, and probably some of you have. I'd rather have what I feel in my heart than a stack of Bibles that high. Now, doesn't that just break your heart for somebody to make a statement like that? Oh, the importance of what is written. In Matthew 22, there were some Sadducees that had come to the Lord. They came up with this uh, scenario, you know, of this uh, woman's husband died and she married all of his brothers and uh, had seven husbands. In the resurrection, you know, whose wife she going to be? And the Lord said, you do her not knowing scripture. And then he said, have you not read? Have you not read that God is the God of the living? God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And in that world there, he talks about how that we're not, you know, it's not like it is here. But the authority of the scriptures, and the Bible says the Pharisees saw that he had silenced the Sadducees. <laughs> and you think about in our world today, there's just not that kind of respect of letting it be a final thing in our world. It is written, and that's so very sad when it's not recognized as a standard and the final say. But I'll notice with you about seven conclusions to this little phrase in the next few minutes we have. Number one, it is written makes needed knowledge about God available. You know, without the Bible, we could know that there is a God. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork, Psalm 19, verse number one. The psalmist said in Psalm 8, verse three, when I, when I look up into the heavens and behold the work of, of thy fingers, the sun and the moon and the stars which thou hast made, Paul would say in Romans chapter 1 and verse 20 that the invisible things of the world prove to us or the, the things of the world that are seen, the creation proves to us the invisible things about God, uh, that there is a God, that we're without excuse. We would know that there's a God. We would know that there is a powerful being that created this world. You think about uh, the changing of the seasons. I mean, right now it is cold. Uh, it won't stay that way. Uh, right now, folks are feeding hay to their cows, but they know there's time. They've just got enough stored up to kind of get them through the winter because they know that God is faithful in changing the season. We know it takes a God to do that. The psalmist said in Psalm 139 and verse 14, I am marvelously and wondrously made. Just think about our body. One of my sons-in-law is an optometrist, and uh, he spent several years just studying the human eye and the things that are associated with it. And that is uh, something else, but not just the eye. You think about all the things about the human body. We would know that there is a God. I saw a watermelon back a year or two ago that weighed 300. I didn't know a watermelon get that big. 308 pounds. It takes 5,000 watermelon seeds to make a pound. And I did the math on that. And that watermelon plant now, it pulled up nutrients out of the ground a million and five hundred thousand times its own weight and put into that watermelon. And that's besides the vine and the leaves and all that stuff that it produced. I mean, what God has made is something else. We would know that God is powerful, that he's orderly, that he loves beauty. Uh, we know some, but there are some things you wouldn't know about God that you need to know if you weren't what's written. <clears throat> 
And you think about <clears throat> the things that he has written that we need to know about of how to please him, how to worship him acceptably, how to pray, how to receive his blessings, how to be saved from our sins. We find that in what is written. In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, according to his divine power, has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Paul said in Romans 1 and verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, it's the power of God and the salvation of everyone that believes, the Jew first and also the Greek. And notice verse 17, for therein, oh, you're not going to find this out here in this world, in this creation, but therein, in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed. So think about the things that are written. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 and 13, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. So it is written, so important for us to know some things about God that we wouldn't know any other way. Number two, it is written is the measure by which we monitor what we're taught by others and the standard of proof of what we teach ourselves. Now, you think about it, God has never sent his servants out without giving them evidence to prove their relationship to him. There's too much at stake for the proof to be lacking. There must be unmistakable evidence. Think about Moses, he had a rod. Think what Moses could do with that rod. He could prove that his message was from God with that rod. Turn into a serpent. Uh, he could turn water to blood. He could part the Red Sea, uh, smite a rock, and water come out. And think about the prophets. You think about them. Elijah, 1 Kings 18. Man, what a proof of what his message that it was from God. Now, think about the apostles. Oh, just look at all the miracles of the apostles, Mark 16 and verse 20. Confirming the word, Hebrews 2, verse 3 and 4, uh, confirming that word to prove the words that they spoke. What's the proof today? How can you monitor what you're taught? How can you, I mean, what do you expect from people that hear you? Proof by the scriptures. That's how we monitor what you're John chapter 20, verse 31, Jesus said, these things are written that you might believe. Have you not read that which God spoke? Matthew 22, verse 31. Just bread and search the scriptures daily, for that the things which Paul spoke were so, Acts 17 and verse 11. So, yes, we have the scriptures. When someone is David's teaching you, I'm teaching you, uh, whoever it is, examine what is said by the scriptures. It's only by the scriptures that we have that measure by which we monitor what we're taught. And it is also not only to test what we hear, believe not every spirit, but try them, 1 John 4, verse 1. Beware of false prophets, Matthew 7 and verse number 15. Matthew 21, verse 25, Jesus said that the baptism of John, is it from heaven or is it from men? Well, the way we know whether something today is from heaven or is it from men, is it in the word of God? And that becomes so very, very important to test what we hear, to prove 
what we teach. If any man speak, let him speak as the utterances of God, First Peter 4 and verse number 11. It's this word that will judge us in the last day, John 12 and verse 48. Let's make sure that we're spending some time with it. Number three, it is written is the source of saving faith. Just think about how important uh, faith is. I mean, in Romans chapter one, two, and three, Paul talks about the condemnation of the world, but he said there is a way of salvation. And we conclude this way is through faith. In Romans chapter five, he would talk about therefore being justified by faith. What kind of faith? The kind Abraham had in Romans chapter four. And we'll be all right if we just have that kind of faith. But how is how, what is the source of saving faith? It's what's written, Romans 10, verse 17. Faith cometh by hearing the word of God. First Thessalonians 2 and verse 13, Paul said of those at Thessalonica that they had received this word as it is indeed the word of God and not the word of men. But notice how the second letter starts off in 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 3. He said, your faith grows, it has grown exceedingly. <coughs> Well, it's because of the way that they had received that precious, precious word. You think about all the references in the Bible that talk about the faith that we're to have. Well, we are taught what God would have us to do, and saving faith acts thereon. But you get that from what is written. I think one of the most beautiful phrases about something being written for our benefit is in Romans chapter four, when Paul talked about Abraham and he talked about how that he was justified by faith. And you think about that great faith that he had in Genesis 15 and verse six, it says, you know, that his faith was counted or imputed as righteousness. Well, in Romans chapter four, Paul said, this wasn't just written for Abraham. He said, man, this is written for us too because we too, our faith will be the same way. It will too be counted as righteousness for us when we have that kind of faith that Abraham had. But how do you get that kind of faith? Well, it's through a study of the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing what is written. Number four, it is written sustains the church. You just think about how is the church. I remember I preached to y'all one time when you was over across the road. I don't know how long the church has been here. At Double Springs, uh, the church started in 1922. So this is our 100th year. So from 1922 to 2022 is 100 years. Now what has sustained that church through the years? Now there have been a lots of changes. I'm sure the building they first met in probably didn't even, I don't even have electricity, I don't know. I'm sure it had a cold heater or wood heater, uh, probably. Uh, had old sawmill run benches and uh, didn't have carpet on the floor or padded pews, you can sure rest. Didn't have an indoor bathroom. Uh, there are just lots of differences, but those are experiences. But what has sustained the church at Double Springs or here or wherever for a hundred years is still the same. Still worships the same. Still teaches the same plan of salvation. Still organized the same way. Still with a great mission of saving the lost, being benevolent toward the needs of others, edifying the saved. It's that which is written. It's that that we come back to that sustains the church. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 17, he said, I preach the same thing in every church. 
That's just the way it's supposed to be when you preach what's written. But John 17, verse 20 and 21, Jesus said, I pray that the whole world that believes on me may be one through the word. And that's the way it ought to be. The whole world ought to be one religiously. And it would be, it could be, if we went simply back to what is written. You just think about how it sustains the church of our Lord. Paul told Timothy, don't teach any other doctrine. Think about instructions to elders. I mean, there, there's a point where he says, you know, you'll have to stop the mouths of some because you're standing up for the truth. So for the church to continue to remain solid and as it is, there must be that adherence to what is written. But number five, <clears throat> it is written verifies the unity and the truth of the Bible. You think about that. It verifies the unity and truth of the Bible. Think about all the written prophecies. Think about it. I've been told that there are some 300 that relate to Jesus. You think about some of these prophecies. I mean, some of them had to do with where he would be born, the town he'd be born in. And that was, just think about it, hundreds of years before it happened. But the prophets ruled about it. And you remember when Herod was trying to determine where the baby Jesus would be? And the people said, well, it's written that he would be born in Bethlehem. In the book of Micah, in Matthew chapter 2, verse 5, Jesus said, thus it is written, and thus it behooves Christ to suffer. Think about all the written prophecies about the sufferings of Christ. And all these have come true. Think about the prophecies concerning John the Baptist. Malachi wrote about in the book of Malachi, chapter 3, and chapter 4. Talked about Mark chapter 1, verse 2, Mark chapter 9. Talked about these references back as Malachi said, there will be one Elijah coming in the spirit of Elijah, and that was John the Baptist. But it is written, verifies the unity and the truth of the Bible. One of the great evidences for the inspiration of the Bible and the origin of the Bible being from God is prophecy that is written and fulfilled. So it is written, oh, it's so, so very, very precious. Number six, it is written gets us through temptation. When the mightiest champion of good, who was Christ, and the mightiest champion of evil, who was Satan, met in conflict, every answer, every temptation that Jesus faced was prefaced with this little phrase, it is written. Matthew chapter four, Verse number seven, the devil had already come with one and Jesus had said, it is written. And verse seven, Jesus said, it is written again. Think about that again. Job chapter one, the devil had come into Job's life in a great way. And you know what all the harm he had done to Job. But the first word of Job chapter two and verse one is the word again. The old devil comes again, doesn't he? 
Some of you probably fought him more than once this week. He didn't just quit with one time this week. How are you going to win that battle with him? <coughs> Your again with scripture is stronger than his again. Don't ever forget that. Your again with scripture is stronger than his again. And when we give in to temptation, it's because we have strayed from what's written. You think about Ephesians chapter six, and Paul said, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Think when he said that battling the devil and he talked about the shield of faith, but how do you get faith? From the word of God. The psalmist said in Psalm 119 verse 11, thy word have I hid in my heart that I would not sin against thee. Verse nine, he said, how can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed unto thy word. Genesis 39, I think it's one of the greatest triumphs <clears throat> over Satan in all the scripture. When the young man Joseph stood against Potiphar's wife. The Bible says that she had come to him daily. It wasn't just a one-time thing. The devil had been working a long time with that. But over and over, he would say no. How did he come to that realization of how can I do this great wickedness and sin against my God? He had been taught. We're taught by the word of God. Let's say no to Satan. Temptations are going to come to us. And we must depend on God's word. First John chapter 3 and verse 9 talks about seed. A seed that's in us. Well, the Bible talks about the word of God as seed. Luke chapter 8, verse 11, verse Peter 1, verse 23, James chapter 1, verse 18. John talked about some young men. We think about young men, and Joseph was a young man. We, we think about, you know, they, they're going to be victims to temptation. You got to learn. Man, I know we learn from experience. You ought to get better, but I see some old people sometimes that still give in to terrible temptation. But here we see an example to John, and he says, I write unto you, young men, because you've overcome the wicked one, verse 13 and 14, and the word of God abides in you. How do we get through temptation? With what is written. Revelation 12, verse 11 says, they overcame, they overcame Satan by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they love not their lives unto the death. Colossians 3 verse 16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. There's a song we sing with our young people, how shall the young secure their hearts? And it talks about that relationship to the word of God. So may we all let God's word be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. There's a beautiful verse, you may have never seen it, Psalm 48, verse 14. Thy word will be my guide unto death. And if we'll do that, we'll be able to be victorious over Satan. James 4, 7 says, resist the devil and he'll flee from me. But that's the way you're going to resist him. With what? <laughs> he'll come back again. He did to the Lord. He departed for a season. The Bible says in Luke 4, verse 13, 
In Luke 22, verse 28, Jesus said, Ye are they that have continued with me in my temptations. There have been more than one, but the Lord fought him with what is written. And that's the way you'll be victorious over him as well. Number seven, it is written, provides encouragement and assurance in times of distress. I'll tell you, not a lot of heartache. Had a brother get killed in a car wreck three years ago. I was preaching in a meeting in Counts, Tennessee, and got out of service. And I checked my phone, just had so many calls, Michigan to wherever, trying to get in touch with my brother had been killed on his way to work. There have been a lot of heartaches. I've dealt with cancer a year and a half ago. Uh, some of you have lost children. Some of you have lost mates. How do we get through that? What's written? That's the way that encouragement and assurance comes. God is faithful. And I think about Joshua's statement, Joshua 21, verse 45. Behold, this day I go the way of all the earth, and there has not failed one thing. And you think about facing death, and you think about all those promises of God. We can open up what's written and see what God has promised for the hour of death and what lies beyond. I had a part in the funeral Thursday. Sweet lady, part of this life, Clay Connors knew her in Miss Louise's house. I have a funeral Tuesday in Jasper for a sweet lady. Christian ladies. Oh, just think about the hope that we can read about that anchors the soul, Hebrews 6, verse 17 through 19, that we can pick up our Bibles and read Revelation 21, verse 4. God will wipe away all tears from their eyes. There'll be a time when there'll be no more tears, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more death, no more separation. All those precious things that are written, that God will hear our prayers you can rest assured on Tuesday at that funeral, I'll try to assure those sweet children, my sister Faye Collins, <coughs> that there is a throne and God is anxious to hear your prayers, that God will provide. Does Jesus care? Oh, yes, he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. But last of all, Think about how it is written, gives us knowledge of life beyond. The only book that opens the window of what's on the other side. <clears throat> the book that tells us where we came from. Nobody knows that apart from the Bible. The book that tells us why we're here the book that tells us where we're going. <clears throat> My hope, it's not in visions, it's not in dreams, it's not in my thoughts, but it's in this book. Think about how that this book is the standard of judgment that we'll face. We know what's gonna be the standard of judgment. Jesus said the words that I've spoken. 
John 12, verse 48. In the day when God would judge the secrets of men by the gospel, Romans 2, and verse number 16, the books were open, another book was open, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of the things written in the books, Revelation 20, verse 12. So I know what the standard of judgment is. When I pick up that book and I open it, it tells me what heaven is like. Oh, just think about that wonderful place that we call heaven. We sing about it. We've heard sermons about it. We read about it. The world is far better. A place where we will be forever. No more party. A little boy one time said he loved peppermint candy. He said, I like that soft, chalky kind. And he said, I wish I had a stick of that to just have one in. <laughs> Heaven's a lot better than peppermint candy. But it just has one in, and that's the beginning. Forever to be with the Lord, where the soul of man never dies. <coughs> the Bible tells us what hell's like, too. On my way up here this morning, I made a telephone call. We have a man at Double Springs. <coughs> I'm not gonna tell you his name, some of you know him. He's left the Lord, left his wife. <coughs> right now he's in hospital, DCH in Tuscaloosa. <coughs> Got COVID, I don't know. He may be on the ventilator this morning, I don't know. He didn't answer his call. I have begged him for four weeks now. I prayed. I've lost so much sleep over it. <coughs> what hell is like. And he's even told me, if I die right now, I'll go to hell. And how can you keep going, especially with the uncertainty that's lying before him now? And I just keep thinking, you know, he's going to call me. He's going to save hands. I need to come home to my God. What hell is like? <clears throat> Where the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and have no rest day or night. Revelation 14, verse 11. To those on his left hand will he say, Depart from me, an everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and for his angels. Matthew 25, and verse 41. Would we escape? the wrath to come? Would we order our lives to make our calling and election sure? If so, we must tread the path of that which is written. Surely there is an appeal as I conclude in this last minute for all of us to spend more time with this book. Some of you may be spending all the time you can, but there's some of us that could find ways to spend a little more time with this book. Jeremiah said, Thy word was in my heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones. It was the joy of my heart, he said in Jeremiah 15, verse 16. Job said, I did esteem thy word as greater than my necessary food, Job 23, verse 12. The two on the road to Emmaus said, Did not our hearts burn within us? when he opened to us the scriptures. Luke 24, verse 32. The Bereans search the scriptures daily, and may God help us 
to do that as well. To crave it as a baby does milk. There's a precious little one right over here. I promise you, you probably get up two o'clock in the morning. I've done, done that a few times. Crave God's word like that. Hunger and thirst for it, Matthew 5 and verse number 6. The little three-word phrase, it is written. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for your kind attention to the lesson. And we will discuss other matters uh, as the day unfolds. But I'm so sure to talk about things to do with you.